Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We have looked at many approaches that we can take with our health and be proactive and learn how to um, get our system going toward health or to a point where it can body can heal itself. So today we have Dr. Louis Arondo. He's written a book, Wolves, Gardens, and Chocolate, which is all about how to deal with chronic diseases and health and, you know, possibly even weight loss. So this sounds intriguing. So... Dr. Louis Arondo is cum laude graduate of Parker University of Chiropractic. He has worked the Stanford Medical University Family Medicine Core Clerkship Program to help Stanford medical students learn more about alternative healing approaches when they visit his clinic. He has developed his expansive multidisciplinary view of health and the body's innate ability to heal while he was traveling and practicing in the United States and Italy. He is certified in neurochemistry and nutrition from the American College of Functional Neurology. He served as a state-certified qualified medical examiner and as a fellow of the American Academy of Forensic and Industrial Chiropractic Consultants. He's been certified in neuroemotional technique. He's lived in five countries and now practices in California, in San Jose. He enjoys bicycling and discovering the connection between our health, physical, mental, and spiritual. So welcome, Dr. Arondo. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So what got you on your path that you wrote your book, Wolves, Gardens, and Chocolate? A few years ago, after having almost 20 years of experience working with patients, I thought about writing a book, but then stopped my tracks and thought, you know, there's so many great books out there on health. There's a new one coming out every, probably every hour. Can I really write a book that makes a difference, that has something different? And what I did was I ran back, not just through my clinical experience, but my life experience and working with people. And I looked at how I was handling uh, working with patients in the last few years of my life as opposed to when I began. And I realized that there is something here that I thought there was a message here that was important because I was seeing a lot of patients coming in with chronic illnesses where the connections between their illness and the reason why that had that illness or condition really wasn't addressed well. And through my experience, I realized that this illness, that these connections were not just biomechanical, biochemical, physical, but they could also be emotional, mental, even spiritual. And so I began to write a book that dealt with these hidden connections that would help people have more vibrant health, better weight, and more energy, and to help them have a greater understanding of why the conditions and illnesses that they were getting palliative treatment for were really consequences, and where we began to look for where were the root causes and how to address that so the body could begin a healing process. And that led me to write this book. Also, 
because I teach people how to lose weight eating chocolate twice a day. And I've always wanted to write a book with the word chocolate in it. I love chocolate. <laughs> I love the idea of eating it twice a day, or even more, to lose weight. I mean, I'm going to sign up for that diet. But So tell me about your concept of chronic diseases and why we're only um, just treating the manifestations rather than the underlying cause. Tell us more about that. It's easier to put out a fire than it is to delve as to why the fire started. And I think in our society, we, we tend to look for the uh, relief. And I think it's really based on, a, on a, a, a mental paradigm, an emotional mental paradigm of, I want relief, I want something to change. Whereas it takes a lot more depth and time to look at the causative effects, the causal aspect of things, where we look, for example, well, okay, your house caught fire and you put it out, but was it because there was a gas line that was open? Was it an electrical fire? Was it a chemical fire? You know, did it come from the back of the stove? You know, so, and these are the things we want to look at, especially when we have, when people's house fires are continuing to take place every day of their lives. And they're throwing buckets of water, i.e. pills at it, but they're being told, oh, tomorrow, keep taking that pill, and the day after, and probably until you die. And I thought, you know, that's a paradigm that is useful and can be life-saving, but it's very limited. What we really want to do is, wherever we can, look at the causative aspects of this so that a person's life can be transformed, not just experience relief by, let's say, lowering blood pressure by taking this pill or increasing blood pressure if it's too low by taking another pill or decreasing stomach acid or increasing it, depending on what's going on, to give you a couple of examples. In your book, you mentioned that while the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, we have 75% of the world's prescriptions. Do you think that, I mean, is that what you see is going on or needs improvement? You know, it's not just in the U.S. We're having, and we're having increases in prescription in almost all the countries. Right now, but in the U.S., it takes, on average, the annual prescriptions of 57 people worldwide to read to reach the annual prescription average for each American. So, wow. You know, we're looking at, yeah, 57 people around the world have to have prescriptions to match one American. Now, wow. people say, well, yeah, but of course, Dr. Hay, you know, America is getting older. Well, unfortunately, the young are also taking more pills in the past. I'll tell you how bad it is right now. And I put bad in context, but right now, almost half of Americans are on at least one prescription. In the last uh, 10 years or so, the number of Americans that are taking prescription drugs has doubled. In fact, when you, wow. walk, into a, yeah, you walk into an office, Susan, a uh, doctor's office, 80% of the time you're going to end up with a drug prescription. So the question is, is the answer to our problems a pill, a chemical pill, and each pill has approximately 69 side effects for prescription drugs. Is that the answer to 80% of all the problems? I don't think so. Well, is, fact, that because we're sicker? is that yeah. because well, we're it, sicker? Is that because we're sicker, or is there a, a connection that goes both ways? I think it goes both ways. I mean, for some things we seem to be healthier, for other things we seem to be sicker, you know, like obesity, which is the mother of 
so many problems, right, and so many diseases. But um, if you look at in terms of prescription rates, you know, those have gone up. But in fact, there was an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that said up to 50% of prescriptions may be unnecessary. Now, when you think of 8 out of every 10 office visits ends up in a prescription, and up to half of them, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, may be unnecessary, that's a staggering amount. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you commented on some specific medications in your book, such as statins, antibiotics, and antacids. Uh, it's, uh, you, you agree that those seem to be overprescribed? Yes. Yeah, that's my sense. Um, Stands obviously have an important role, and every person is has to be you know looked at individually and decide you know is this the right thing for you or not, and they certainly have advantages. You know they certainly can be very good for cardiovascular health, as well as other things. I would never tell anybody not to use it or not to use it. I tell people, listen, think for yourself and make the decision. You know how is this going to affect you? For example, statins will give you a greater chance of having diabetes, even if you have sugar levels that are normal. And there yeah, are studies that go one way or the other that will, that will indicate yeah. that it may have problems with rhabdomyolysis or muscle problems. Some studies say, well, that's a minor thing. Other studies say, well, it's more common than you might think. Yeah, I'd like to add here, it depletes CoQ10, which is essential for our mitochondria, our energy producers in the body. Also, apparently, it lowers adiponectin, that is kind of a straight loop to diabetes. Also, Dr. Mark Houston said that the cholesterol-centric view that the cholesterol is a source of all evils in, uh, in cardiovascular disease is no longer valid, that you can take the statin and it might not necessarily prevent heart disease. So uh, we need to think twice about this because it's not clear if they even help reduce heart attacks. That's right. When I, when I, have, when I see somebody in my clinic that's taking a statin, I say, just listen, as, as a support for your liver, here, take CoQ10, ubiquitone, you know, and help yourself because that's having an effect on liver function. And the mitochondrial function, that's, that's, the, that's the powerhouse of our bodies, is mitochondrial function. If you've got metabolic, I was talking to a friend of mine, he says, wow, you know, I'm just run down. I know that I can feel my metabolism working. And he's asking, is it thyroid, is it this, is that? I'm saying, well, whatever it is, at the end of the day, your mitochondria are not functioning as well as it could. The oven is not turned up high enough. And mitochondria wow. is kind of interesting. Mitochondria comes to us, Susan, um, from bacteria that came into our DNA complex a long, long time ago. And it looks like a bacteria, right, when you look at it. So these powerful cells, you know, can be affected not just by statin, but by so many other drugs. And they, in turn, can have an effect on a number of cellular processes that may not be connected as a side effect to that particular drug. Well, and don't... Oh, pardon me. Go ahead. And don't antacids uh, increase food allergies and uh, make the microbiome uh, in a worse condition? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there are benefits to antacids, and there's also drawbacks. Like any drug, you know, it has its place. And, and you know, my opinion is antacids, and we've seen the research on it. People, people don't realize um, the long, especially the long-term effects of uh, the antacids. You know, the FDA has, has issued a warning on that. Because what happens is when you take an antacid and you lower your HCL, hydrochloric acid levels in your stomach, 
one of the things you're doing is preventing the stomach from acting as a sentinel organ. Now, most people aren't aware of that. People think, well, the stomach's there to help digestion. And it does that to an extent. Um, but one of the major functions of the stomach is through decreasing or increasing, in this case, you know, the, the acidity or decreasing the pH, it acts as a sentinel. It's a barrier. It's a chemical barrier that kills viruses, bacteria, parasites, and a lot of pathogens. So your stomach works to protect you. It's a first line of defense when you're eating against any type of uh, problems such as you know, E. coli, salmonella, that you may find brucellosis that may be found in your salad, organic salad as, as well, or any other types of foods. And when you take the, um, say, a proton pump inhibitor, what you're doing is decreasing the amount of protection that your stomach has. Not only that, but, you know, you want the uh, hydrochloric acid, the, uh, the gastric acid in the stomach because it helps break down the collagen and certain types of amino acids so that fish, the chicken, the meat can be absorbed better by the body. On top of that, it's been shown that the use of antacids can affect the absorption of calcium, iron, vitamin B, other minerals, which can have effect on osteoporosis. And because of its decreased sentry abilities, taking a proton pump inhibitor, uh, it's been shown that antacids can lead to more C. diff types of issues in the intestines, leads to diarrhea, and even lung issues as well, lung infections, greater chance of lung infections. And that's what we know it does. Then there's what we don't know it does, right, as well. Mm -hmm. And having said that, I put all the use of drugs in context. People may think I'm against drugs. I'm not. I'm saying put them in context, use them when you really have to, and use as little as necessary. And see what else you can do to heal yourself during that time or as a substitute if, if uh, clinically reasonable. Wow. You uh, mentioned so many different topics in your book, Specific Diseases, in your book, um, uh, Wolves, Gardens, and Chocolate. So you mentioned thyroid and obesity, which I'm, I really want to get to at some point, hypertension, roller cortisol, and toxins. What particular disease would you like to tell the audience about and how your approach can make it better? Well, you know, there's um, it's a good question. I would say if I had to pick one, you know, I'd say, listen, you know, there are so many here, um, and they're all in their own way important, and they all can have an effect, you know. Um, but if I were to say let's pick one that will make the greatest change in people's health at every level, I would pick weight. You know, we used to think weight was, well, you're carrying more, you know, you're carrying more in your fat cells. And uh, we didn't give much attention to that other than that. But more and more, you know, apart from the cardiovascular issues, we now know that fat cells don't just store fat. They're not inert closets in, in your house. Fat cells are actually part of the endocrine system. They have a life of their own. They're creating a number of chemicals as well as storing not only fat but toxins. So these fat cells are, are alive and they're pumping out a number of chemicals that are inflammatory the more overweight or obese you are. 
And this inflammation can go to your joints, it can go to every part of your body. And inflammation is a major causative dynamic for a number of other diseases. So we look at something like that and we say, let's take obesity and being overweight as the number one thing, the number one condition, now called action and illness, that if we can turn this around, I think you see the greatest single be- uh, health benefit, not only to us in America, but practically to every civilized country. Because there's a study done not too long ago. It was a study that took place over 33 years. They looked at over 180 um, first and second world countries to find out in the last 33 years how much weight loss had taken place in those countries. Now, keep in mind, Susan, what do we have? We have, we've got Oprah, Dr. Weil, we've got people like you, we have books, we have information coming out left and right, you know, we have access in our cell phone nowadays to probably two-thirds of the world's literature and a ton of research. So much information has come out on how to eat well compared to 30 or 40 years ago. However, in the last 30 years, out of 188 countries, not one of them has significant weight loss. Wow. That's amazing. Not only that, in America right now, almost 40% of adults are obese, and our waistlines are increasing every year. We just wow. had an increase in waistline compared to last year. Wow. And you so, mentioned in your book that every increase in BMI... Uh, well, uh, you know, if you get, if you're prone to Alzheimer's, it will make it seven months earlier. That's right. Yes, and just losing. Uh, there's a, a study that just came out after my book, but my book, you know, has parallel information with it, showing that if you can just lose five to ten percent of your body weight, the chances of metabolic disease arising down the road is cut by fifty percent. Wow, fifty percent is amazing. And the most prominent metabolic disease uh, is diabetes. And when you have diabetes, you lose more brain volume. Your life expectancy can go down by six years. You more, more a lot more diabetics die from heart disease. Um, it's just uh, you end up with high blood pressure, and just that seems to go down a pathway to many bad diseases that we don't want. That's right. And you know, as a diabetic, you know, for most diabetics. The, their, their main problem is insulin resistance. Yes. I have people come to my clinic, and in the course of I'm a chiropractor. In the course of chiropractic care, you know, I'll, I'll do uh, I'll do clinical studies, you know, as a screening, and some of them are even type one diabetics, and they're taking insulin, or type two that have moved into insulin. And um, so I will just uh, one of the things I'll, I'll order as a test is um, I'll test for C peptide along with insulin. And glucose. Yes, that's important. And C-peptide is much more accurate in, ter- in determining if your pancreas is really producing insulin or not, because C-peptide is produced in a one-to-one ratio to insulin. Now, the problem with insulin measurement using the blood is that, and most people aren't aware of what happens to sh- you know to insulin. They think all the body, all the body is. It is true, even the brain. But did you know that half of all insulin is used within 10 minutes by your liver? And your liver only weighs three pounds on average? Wouldn't surprise me. When I asked my doctor yeah, for never. a C-peptide test, they did, she didn't even know what it was and said wouldn't know what to do with it if she got it. So. 
Yeah. But I did get it. And, and, you know, know and this is part of, you know, um, remember, that there's a 17-year, according to research done here at Stanford University, um, and I'm a few miles away from there, there's, and you're, you certainly are close when you're here, you know, there's research done showing that there's a 17-year gap between medical application and clinical research. That's what drives me nuts more, when I go to a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and there's wonderful doctors out there that are really on with things. But, you know, uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to see what, what the research is showing and, and see what can I help as a way of natural support through supplements, herbs, et cetera, lifestyle changes, or nutrition that has research showing can, can, can work with that particular condition. So I have a lot of patients coming in here who are on the subject of, of diabetes and insulin. And by the way, you know, as your insulin goes up, one of the things that happens is it triggers you to be more hungry. So this is not good, you know. This is one of the things we have a vicious cycle. But a lot of patients coming in with insulin or taking, you know, their, 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 their sugar is at 200 to 250, and they're, you know, they're on metformin, and they're on... Uh, they're now, you know, looking at, uh, they're on a second-level drug, like Pisipide, or they're also looking now at peptidase inhibitors, and they've been told, listen, they're, they're telling me I might have to get injected and start insulin. And I said, let's see what, let's see what your liver is, let's see what your pancreas is doing, you know, and this is something you can discuss with your medical doctor, and there it is, a C-peptide is in the normal range. Say, listen, you're, you're producing. Your, your pancreas is producing. What we have to work on is helping you to provide natural support so that your cell receptors are in the cells of your body are now able and willing to accept the insulin. Because isn't isn't so much about just sugar, it's also about amino acids. And you need amino acids, you know, to, to build muscle, you need amino acids for a number of functions in the cell. So I tell people, listen, here you go, congratulations, you do have a liver, you do have a pancreas that is pumping out insulin. And it's something that, you know, we can work with. So another thing I see, too, uh, Susan, with a lot of diabetic patients is I ask them about their digestion, and there's research showing that 40% of diabetics have issues with um, digestive enzymes. So wow. I do amylase and lipase studies as a screening test as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's dysfunction there. So I say, listen, you're going to be helped by digestivase as well. Well, won't those enzymes be lower if your stomach acid's too low, if you inappropriately take N-acids? I don't know what the... I don't remember seeing the research between a connection between amylase and lipase, let's say, which are produced by the pancreas, you know, and HCL production. So I think the HCL the production be, turns on the enzymes. It certainly could help. Um, I just don't know enough about that. Okay. Well, tell, I want to know how I can lose weight by eating chocolate. I need to know about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> who doesn't, right? Uh, so let's talk about that. And, and let me, uh, and let me again, in the spirit of the book, Wolf's Gardens and Chocolate. Um, let me tell, uh, let me tell you what I tell every patient that comes in here and says, you know, I, I am, I'm just, I want to lose weight. And I say, okay, I'll tell you what. I will do this. I will help you um, to have better health, but I won't help you lose a pound. I go, well, that's what I came for. I, I want to diet. I want exercise. I'm saying, you know, diet and exercise are great, but we're also seeing after 33 years, again, going back to this study, 
that diet and exercise people, when they're prescribed that, it really doesn't work. So they're saying, well, what do I do? I'm saying, well, let's do this. Let's fix the body to fix the fat. I will help you to fix the body, and you will fix the fat. And this way you'll be able to lose weight without ever having one hour of being hungry. Is that a deal? And they like that. And I say, and you can eat chocolate too. And I tell them how to do that. So basically what I tell people is this. I need to work, and we have to make sure your body is working well before you're able to lose the weight successfully, long-term, and in a way that is fairly pleasant to you because people will break diets left and right if they're too hard. So I tell them this. Let me, let me find out um, how your entire body is working because weight loss is a consequence. I want you to think of weight loss as a consequence, I tell people. When your body is working well, when your detoxifying organs are working well, when your limitative organs are working well, when you sleep well, when you have good digestion, when you have good energy, when the cravings go away, you have a much better chance of being able to lose weight because lose weight, losing weight is a traumatic event. Not just because you're going, quote, hungry, but when you lose weight, a number of toxins are released from the fat cells. And these toxins will even affect how thyroid function works. These toxins then, if your body's not ready for them, can give you headaches, can make you dizzy, can give you a sense of, of wanting to, to eat whatever you can to kill yourself. They will take your energy away because your body isn't really ready and prepared to go through this traumatic event that weight loss is. So we look at things such as, first of all, how are you sleeping? We know sleep, and you talked about HCL, sleep helps to regenerate. Helps to regenerate stomach cells. And if you don't sleep well, then your stomach cells don't regenerate as well. They turn over more slowly. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, well, what are your sleeping patterns? And they said, well, I have anxiety, and so I, I don't sleep very well. It takes me a long time to fall asleep. I'm saying, well, if you have anxiety, you're likely going to have stress levels that are high, such as cortisol. So cortisol will do a few things. It will make you more hungry, number one. Number two, cortisol will affect your thyroid, depressed thyroid function, which depresses metabolism, which in turn makes you harder to lose weight. So I work with them, giving them natural support. Once, one, uh, one night a month I teach a meditation class here to my patients. I've been doing that for a couple of years. It's going really well. And in fact... Um, this, this meditation that I teach is really something that I think goes beyond meditation. It's quite striking. I've been doing it for about 38 years. It's universal. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to or you don't. It's like drinking a glass of water. You don't have to know the chemistry behind it. So I teach this meditation to them. And, in fact, for those that may be interested, um, they can learn more about it by going to a website I created that lets people experience this meditation do it themselves and see how it works for them. And it's called helpyourlife.org. Helpyourlife.org. And it contains instructions for the simple meditation and some testimonies as to uh, just something to use that begins to bring anxiety down. And then there are, there's natural support I can give for them to help work, to work with them. Once I can get their sleep reestablished better, their bodies and their cells can heal better. We look for digestion as well. If they're not absorbing nutrition as they should, it can be very difficult for them to lose the weight they need to because the body needs good nutrition in order to detoxify and to eliminate. So we work on uh, digestive issues. If I see that they're having, 
for example, um, sugar cravings. I'm going, listen, it's very hard to lose weight when you're craving sugar. Let's talk about that. One of the things I ask every patient that comes in, I don't care if they're coming in for a hangnail, um, if they're coming in for low back pain, if they're coming in for headaches, whatever it might be. I give them a questionnaire. There's 80 questions, and the question is divided into 12 different body parts or body systems. And so I'm asking general questions about stress and brain function, digestive function, neuromuscular, obviously. I'm asking also for metabolic issues. I'm asking for um, how they, when they wake up in the morning, how much energy they have. Um, if there's a woman, what are the menstruation cycles look like? Are they normal? Do they have uh, PMS symptoms? Because that can, that can lead me to dysfunctions in organs and glands that may need natural support. So when we get a per, you know, so a lot of times what I find is that, especially with women, a lot of women are not eating enough protein. If they can handle protein, I suggest have more protein, have it three times a day. Do that because if you begin to have swings in your energy levels and you begin to have these cravings for sugar or a bagel or bread, what may be happening is you may be having hypoglycemia. So your sugar level drops at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you feel tired, and you eat something you shouldn't. And when that happens, it's very hard to lose weight because that you have to be consistent with. So I say let's find out if you need to eat maybe four times a day. And if there are signs of uh, symptoms of hypoglycemia, let's find out what it could be. You know, do you have adrenal dysfunction? What else could be going on? So, you know, we look at these things as well. And we look, uh, are, listen, are you constipated? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. It says, well, it's going to be hard to detoxify your body if, you're eliminated, if one of your elimination organs isn't working well. So we, ha- we need to have you have regular. So let's find out, is it not enough fiber? Is it not enough water? What else is going on? We know that the brain can shut down, stress can shut down, or thyroid can shut down um, excretion easily. So we look at that and see how we can help it naturally. So once we fix the body, and we, then we give them a food program, we say, please don't go hungry. Eat as much as you want. But I'd like to limit you to these type of foods if your body can handle it and see how it goes. And then we talk about chocolate, Susan, which I know is the punchline you've been waiting for. <laughs> so I say, and here's what you do with chocolate, right? Because let's think about it. Does anybody get excited about the fact that they're going to be eating pounds and pounds of broccoli and spinach and kale for the next three or four weeks or three months? No. No, it's, that's a killjoy. Right? I mean, it's good. Yes, but it's a killjoy. Yeah, I can't have this. I can't have that. You know what I'm saying? Listen, you really have enough stress in your life. Dieting is a stress. Think about it. It's a mental stress. It's an emotional stress. It's also a physical stress if your body isn't ready for it. And even if it is, it's still a stress in your body because there is trauma involved. So there's cellular trauma from the toxins coming out. So I say, let's do this. You need something sweet in your life, something to look forward to. So let's do this. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to have chocolate two or even three times a day. You mentioned three times a day. So I said, have chocolate three times a day. But here's how I want you to do it. Just have half an ounce of chocolate either immediately, immediately after each meal. And that way you can have chocolate three times a day. You're not going to have that much in the way of calories. Chocolate actually helps with serotonin, helps with neurotransmitters. It's got magnesium. It's got a lot of wonderful things in it. And I don't care if it's dark chocolate or milk chocolate. The research shows both work just as well. But give yourself something sweet, something you really like. Do it two or three times a day. And you're going to see it's much easier to, be, to go through this program of losing weight in a way that makes you feel energetic, where you're sleeping well, and your tensions are reduced. And you know that, okay, here comes you know, the kale salad, 
But after that, I got a nice Hershey's kiss waiting for me, you know, or whatever it might be. So what kind I'll of diet people, do you recommend? Well, for most people, you know, it depends. For most people, if I see they have issues of hypoglycemia, I have to say, listen, you're going to have to need to eat some sort of protein every four, to, you know, four times a, a day. For women or men who say, listen, about, you know, two or three hours after I go to sleep, I wake up, and I wake up throughout, and I'm pretty tired throughout the day. It's hard to wake, go back to sleep. I'm saying, you know, sometimes what happens is um, if your adrenals aren't working as well as they could, and you can do, you know, cortisol salivary testing with this, or you can do blood, but saliva is extremely good for this, and you track the cortisol load and the cortisol amount, because cortisol should be high in the morning and drop down. I'm saying you've you got to get a sense for how well you're, not only your adrenals, but higher up, your HPA, hypothalamic axis is working. See how your hippocampus is working. And find out, you know, if you've got a good rhythm to the way that you are um, handling your energy levels during the day and also at night. So I may tell people to eat something at night before they go to bed. Um, not just for the uh, serotonin, melatonin, but also so that they have something in their stomach in case they have hypoglycemia. Um, to help them at 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning when they, you know, they find themselves that they're waking up. What tends to happen there is they have a reduction of sugar in their system, and so the brain tells the adrenals to create adrenaline. Adrenaline will provide sugar to the brain, but adrenaline wakes you up, and it's hard to go back to sleep when those receptors are active and, and kicking. So um, I typically tell people to eat protein three times a day. I like to tell people, listen, eat fish you know, eat um, eggs. Don't worry about the yolk and the eggs. You know, it's, it's not going to raise your cholesterol. It's got choline. It's got omega-3. It's got vitamin D. It's good stuff in egg yolk. You know, eat um, turkey and um, chicken and fish. You know, I say st- stay away from, you know, from uh, catfish or tilapia. Uh, those aren't very healthy. And, you know, eat something that's caught wild, you know, eat salmon, you know, wild-caught salmon, you know, maybe from Alaska, eat cod, eat halibut, and then have veggies. Um, what you want to do is avoid a high glycemic index or high glycemic load, better yet, um, carbs. And so you stay away from the rice, the potatoes, the bread, stay away from the flowers, um, and cut back, cut back on your fruits. Yes, fruits are good. They have a lot of good things in them, but they also have sugar. You know, it's, so, I mean, there's some fruits you can get away with. And basically, I say, you know, a lot of veggies, a lot of salads, and have protein. And do that three times a day. And, where it begins, and I also tell people a trick that actually has good research behind it. It's in my book. If you drink 16, glass, 16 ounces of water about 20 to 30 minutes before you eat, you're going to find you're going to eat about 20% less. And the reason for that is that how many of us, of us have had a November Thanksgiving turkey dinner and an hour later we go, oh, I'm so stuffed, you know? I didn't realize I ate that much. And that really happens throughout the year. Well, we have stomach receptors that are mechanical receptors that take about 15 minutes to fire into the brain. And... As your stomach begins to expand, these receptors release chemicals that slowly make their way up there. And this is why, because there is a lag time, a lot of people eat, 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 and they go, oh, boy, I'm stuffed. I didn't realize I ate that much. I shouldn't have eaten that much. So obviously eating slowly helps. But another thing that helps is those 16 ounces of water 
about 20 minutes before a meal because it stretches the stomach receptors and gives the brain enough time to realize, you know, my stomach is, is uh, stretched. My stomach feels full. Now, Susan, what I tell people is, listen, try soup. You know, if you can make the homemade soup, that's great. But just get soup in you and have soup, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes before you eat. Make that your appetizer. And have a lot of soup. Have 16, 19 ounces. You will find that you'd be a lot less hungry and a lot less apt to reach for the bread, to reach for, you know, the junk food, and to order something you shouldn't at a restaurant if you already have that in your body. Because not only are you now stretching the receptors, but there, your brain is beginning to, there's an arcuate nucleus in the hypothalamus that's associated with hunger that's receiving information that says, hey, I've got, some, I've got nutrition in me. So what you're doing is you're pre-handling the temptation of eating. And you do that by 15 minutes before filling your stomach up with water or if you can with soup. Okay, so is this this close to the ketogenic, paleo-ketogenic diet? Yes, it's very similar to a ketogenic diet, but, yeah, it is that, actually, um, because I think that does tremendous amount of good for a lot of people with inflammatory conditions, a lot of people with sugar conditions, with just about every condition, because the ketogenic diet allows them also the intestines. Uh, By the way, a lot of the ketogenic diet, I I suggest a lot of greens. And greens are important, green fiber, because the butyrate in them helps to heal the body, the intestines. And intestinal health is seen more and more as central to just about every type of illness that we're experiencing. So this is a, this is a diet that's heavy on the greens and the protein and high-quality protein. And in doing so, um, increases insulin sensitivity decreases inflammation, and allows you know, short-chain fatty acids um, to flourish in the intestines, also bacterial um, balance. So we have sort of dysbiosis. You have eubiosis in your intestines. And through the intestines can also help with autoimmune systems and can help with a host of issues, including brain function. Yes, absolutely. The health of the gut is connected to future autoimmune diseases and brain functioning. Absolutely. But isn't it true that if you eat a lot of protein without, if you don't have the fat, that you're going to raise your insulin level, that it's almost like eating sugar if you eat too much? Well, there there is fat in, you know, if, if if you eat the way we used to eat, there is fat in protein. Chicken has fat. Fish has fat. Turkey has fat. I, ask, I tell people as well, listen, if, when you eat eggs, fry the eggs in, say, organic coconut oil, which is wonderful because it not only is antiviral, antibacterial, but coconut oil also helps the gut to heal. So, and I said, if you're going to do a smoothie in the morning, you know, they say, well, I do my smoothie. What do you put? I put lots of fruits, and I put a few veggies in there, and I might put some protein powder. And I'm saying, you know, in my book, I say, an avocado a day, dot, dot, dot. And the reason is, is, listen, you're missing the fat. You need essential fats and oils. So, for example, I tell them, add a, you know, half an avocado in there to get the fats in there. When I cook an omelet in the morning, I cook it using organic coconut oil. And then when I'm about to eat it, I put on the organic olive oil. So in the morning, I have eggs. And I also have two types of great fats for me and oils for me. Sounds good. 
So other contributors eat. to fat, I mean, what, what is this, you know, it might be thyroid or uh, toxins. Which of these would you like to address next? Or is there any other topic you'd like to address? Yeah, you know, um, let's talk, if you don't mind, let's talk about um, the, the, the importance of having the big picture. My book really isn't about health, which is surprising at first glance because it's a book on health, supposedly, Little Known Connections, you know, it's a subtitle, you know, to, for vibrant health, ideal weight, and boundless energy. Um, but the truth is that I, you know, I wrote a book within a book. And the biggest single thing that I could offer anybody with any type of health condition is this. Look at the big picture and expand your awareness. Have a fresh, open spirit of inquiry. Because when you do that, then you'll ask the right questions. You'll look for the right information. And then you'll act accordingly. The biggest shift we can have in our health long-term, I believe, as a root cause, is a shift in our awareness or consciousness. That's the single biggest help we can give ourselves because we know that not only is it biochemical and biomechanical, but health is also rooted in our emotional, our mental, even our spiritual dynamics. There's a study done in, here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, municipal drivers that, you know, they take the trolleys up and down in San Francisco and then drive the buses. The bus drivers who emotionally were repressed tended to have more low back pain than those that express their emotions. Which yeah. doesn't mean that they should, you know, yell at you, obviously, but it's just a question of if you're in touch with your emotions, you're healthier. People who've had traumatic childhood incidents will have greater incidence of low back pain, even though the, XR, the, the X-rays, the MRIs, everything is normal. Others who've had surgeries, who've had unresolved psychological trauma in childhood, the more trauma they have, the less chance that that surgery is successful. I have research right in the body in, in, my, in my book. I have patients come here, Susan, and uh, I just had a patient um, a month ago. She came in and she says, I'm losing hair. I says, well, I'm not an expert on that, but let's talk about that. And so along the course of care, because she has some other issues, is where she says, you know, I've, yeah, I've been losing hair for two years. I mean, it just comes off like buckets, you know, and, and it clogs up my sink. And they've checked my thyroid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm saying, okay. One question I always ask patients is, Whenever they come up and tell me, listen, I have this, this problem, I have this problem, when did it start, is no matter what it is, and say, listen, what was going on in your life around that time? And in this, I asked the same thing of this patient, and she said, oh, it was two years ago, I don't know, not, oh, I remember, she said, oh, we got broken into, my husband and I, they came in at night, and they just didn't rob, they almost killed us, we were afraid we were going to die. It was severe, it was traumatic. And I'm saying, well, you mentioned you lost your hair after that. She says, yeah, in fact, after, shortly after that, I've been losing the hair. And I said, you know, whatever else we do to help with everything else, I'd like you to do something if you don't mind. I'd like you to take a few sheets of paper. I'd like you to take a pen. And I'd like you to go and sit down quietly and use your cell phone and time yourself. For 20 minutes, I'd like you to consider writing this down. 
I'm not a psychologist. I'm going to give you psychological aid. I'm not trained for that. But these are something to help you connect because your body will show traces of what could have happened to you in the past. So what I ask her to do is this. I ask her, please write down uh, a sentence, and I want you to write down after the sentence whatever comes to you for the next 20 minutes. And the sentence was this. When they broke into my house, I felt... And what I, want you, I told her, what I want you to do is just write whatever comes out, out of that. And this, the pen may take you to different places, to different parts of your life. Don't worry about it. What I want you to do is don't take the pen off the paper. Don't start thinking. Let this be a flow. And I want you to do that for 20 minutes. I want you to do it for three times, three days in a row. When you're finished, take the paper, rip it up, throw it down, and flush it down the toilet. I don't want to know what you wrote. This is all about you, nobody else, just you. So she went ahead and she did that, and she came back two weeks later, and she said, you know, my hair, I think I'm seeing a change in my hair. I'm not sure. I'm going, really? She says, well, that's great. How did the exercise go? She said, I cried a lot. She said, yeah, you know, a lot came out. So, you know, we worked on some other things, some other issues she had going on, and I said, let's do it again. So she did it again, and I said, do it now for five days in a row. And I just saw her yesterday morning, and she came in. And I said, this looked this. You know, we, we went over some of her issues. And I said, tell me about your hair. And, she said, and then she reaches for her hair, and she grabs it, and she pulls it. And says, look, no hair is coming out. I'm saying, I'm losing a lot less hair now than I was before. Right now, my hair is strong. It's good. I said, did you do the exercise? Yeah, how did it go? She says, the second time, it was different. The second time, there was less, less emotions being released, but it was still quite interesting. And I'm saying, you know, I'd like you to do that again one more time if you don't mind. I'll see you in three weeks' time. So, you know, I, it's anecdotal, but so much of what we store within as trauma from our lives shows up physically. There's an old saying in body work. The issues are in the tissues. And, in fact, where you are right now, Susan, because you're in England, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, um, crop marks are appearing all over in Great Britain, because of the drought. And what they're seeing in drought marks, and this connects to what I'm talking to you about, the crop marks are beginning to show patterns. And these patterns of old settlements from medieval times and even Roman times. And so you're having these different colorations that are coming up, patterns from where they dug ditches or they dug walls, or even a famous Victorian um, gardener who, who, who created particular um, symmetric patterns in a large field, um, these patterns came up again after, what, 300 years, 200 years. So, um, or 150 years, whatever it was. And the article was saying, you know, this is interesting. We're, the past is coming up and surfing again, surfacing again through the drought. And we're seeing the outlines and shapes of settlements of 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago. Now, what happens in late scurvy. In late scurvy, the latter stages of scurvy, old wounds that were completely healed from 30, 40 years ago begin to show up on the body and begin to open up again. Isn't that fascinating? Are you no saying that these events are connected? They open up again. And that's are because the, the body... What, what is the significance of these, uh, these events in England? Is that connected to his uh, scurvy reopening? Yes, in, in, in this sense, we are, we are of nature such as, and, and so is the earth, right? Yes. During a drought, 
we see that the earth remembers patterns, and these patterns come up. Interesting. During extreme times. And my point is our body of the earth also has patterns, and these patterns will come up. Just like in scurvy, in late scurvy, you will have wounds that were completely healed from 30 years ago begin to open up again in your skin because the yeah. patterns are there. We, we have, and of course, you know, you, you know this more than most because of your training, but we, we hold on to patterns, and these patterns will show up as illnesses and conditions that we may not associate with a particular trauma or pattern or event or behavior pattern in our life. Some researchers say that even water has memories. That's right. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Even water has memories. So, so, and that's why, and that's why the, the genesis of this book was the big picture. Look for the hidden connections. And they're not, they're not just physical. They could be emotional. They could be spiritual. Well, we have dynamics. Are you left. Ancient we have Greeks. about four minutes left. Okay. So would you like to summarize? It sounds like part of it is that we need to delve into our, you know, various traumas and things that really shook us up at some point and try to somehow or other, you know, make those better. It sounds like a functional medicine practitioner can put all the pieces together. But supposing somebody doesn't get to a functional medicine practitioner and he's on his own, uh, you know, meditation, getting in touch with what's going on in the body, writing about self, pain in the past. What would you recommend a person to do on his own other than good diet, good sleep, and exercise? We have five minutes left. You know, in the, um, I devote about five or six chapters of the, in my book to that. There's a, a lot of things they can do on their own. Um, and I won't, you know, we won't cover it with the time we have, but if they're, you know, they're interested, they can look at that in the, um, Wolf's Gardens and Chocolate. But some of the things that are, one of the things I would suggest is look to see, okay, this is an issue that's coming up, and is there a, could there be an emotional pattern associated with this? Could there be a nutritional pattern associated with this? Could there also be a mental pattern associated with this? If this is this illness showing me something about my life that I can no longer get away with, that I used to be able to get away with, that is really easy in line, is not aligned with who I am and what I'm here to do, whatever that may be for you. So that is the big picture. And then okay. some of the tools, you know, for the, the, the tactics, you know, to, to look at the strategy of looking at, okay, the four corners of my home, you know, of, of myself, my physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and how health is a mirror reflection of that. So, so then you look at some of the tactics that are involved, and sometimes I may do something as simple as journaling or writing your dreams. I write my dreams every day, and I look once a month and I read my dreams to see what they, what they have to show me. I also look at to see, you know, I'll do, 15 minute, I'll do a 15-time affirmation right after my dreams every morning to keep my, my focus on where I want to move to. I'm looking at things such as, for example, changing heart rate variability, which is a major indicator, maybe the biggest one, or morbidity, long-term morbidity. And I know I can do that, meditation, but I can also easily do that as simple as taking one in-breath every three or four or five seconds and one out-breath every five seconds and slow my breath down. Okay. These are things I can do. I can, right? So I can also look at um, brainwave entrainment which is easy to do, and it's natural, and I speak about it in the book, that uh, I use, 
you know, as a support to help people have better functioning brains, better memory, better concentration, and less stress. So, um, and those are easy tools that are now available on the internet. You know, there's cognitive behavioral therapy that can be used as well, you know. So what is this brain entrainment? How can we do that on our own? Um, that you can't do on your own, but there's, there, are, there are tools that you can find very easy on the Internet that teach you that. There's a, there's a company that I like working with called Mind Alive. They're in Canada. They've got great tools for that and a lot of research behind it. So I use um, their products just as a natural support for people, uh, including kids who have issues with learning disabilities, to help the brains to work as best as they can and also decrease Anxiety. Meditation, helpyourlife.org. If you go to helpyourlife.org, that is with a, that's one of the, the single biggest uh, change in my life. I've been doing that for over 40 years, and that particular meditative approach, which I think it goes beyond meditation, um, has absolutely transformed my life. So there's that to do. You know, there's talking to people and communicating. So it sounds like you've got ideas. an overall approach looking at the physical the very important component of the spiritual, the very important component of emotions, which could be tied inside you and causing all sorts of problems, which we're not aware of. Um, looking at how the body, you know, sings like as in an orchestra, how the adrenals are interacting with the thyroid, and you know how this, you know, things that lead to obesity and bad health and inflammation. You also mentioned about toxins which are hugely important part of this picture. So it sounds like you're looking at everything and putting it all together to help us get well. That's well put, yes. Awareness, increasing awareness and what to do about it, focused awareness is the single biggest health step any one of us can ever take at a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. Okay, well, we, I mean, this sounds really fascinating, folks, and I would recommend you go get his book and, you know, Wolves, Gardens, and Chocolate, and so you can go further down this path yourself. So read what you can, learn what you can, share it with others, share it with your physician and clinician, and above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.